0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blue Earth Summit podcast. I'm Lauren Esbitt and in today's episode I speak to Dan McCauley, a Blue Earth ambassador and the founder of sports marketing agency Brandwave. Dan grew up in Cork in Ireland and spent his childhood by the sea. He got his first job in the outdoor industry when he was just 11 years old before setting up his own company 16 years ago. Since then, he's consulted for leading sports brands and associations all around the world. I chat to Dan about how brands can do sustainability well and how sport can be used as a catalyst for change. Hi Dan, it's uh, lovely to have you on the pod today. Uh,
1: hello, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: You just got back from um, Hawaii. What were, you, what were you out there for?
1: I just got back from Hawaii. I'm still, still a little bit jet-lagged I would love to say that it it was work or family but it was it was pure pleasure just just on the water for all day every day uh, surfing windsurfing, winging feeling like I was a teenager again it was uh it was lovely but for for sure I've I've burnt all my brownie points now and uh, (laughs) that's uh that's that's gonna be it for a while I think
0: so you've had a pretty um full life from from competitive sport to business so in less than two minutes can you give us a timeline of those things I grew up in Ireland.
1: My parents were living in America. And my dad is a songwriter and I grew up in, in Cork, which was a really lovely place to grow up by the beach and uh, right next to a big water sports center uh, called the Oyster Haven Center. And from a really young age, sort of my whole world kind of revolved around that. I was about 11, I think, when I got my first job carrying surfboards. And in many respects, it's been quite linear. You know, I, I coached a lot of sports, taught sports and really believe in it as a sort of catalyst for change physically and mentally and societally and i competed a bit as you said and i did a degree and a a, a master's degree and then when i was quite young i became the uh, european marketing director for the surf brand o'neill and that was pretty fun and then um, i did that for four years and um kind of struggled finding agencies that understood the world that we lived in so without any real sort of agency experience myself you know agency side i, I set up um, Brandwave some 16 years ago we've been super lucky we, we we consult for you know a lot of the leading sort of sports brands and, and associations and, and teams around the world and um yeah i got a, a few other business ventures as well and um live here on the south coast in the uk with my wife and three kids competitively i, I do a lot of different. Um, sports, a lot of the guys that I work with and the guys work for me come from, um, professional sports backgrounds and, and Olympic backgrounds. So I'm generally sort of back of the pack. Um, but the one, the ones that I've always really, you know, enjoyed is, is, uh, is, is the water sports, particularly windsurfing. And, um, yeah, l- lucky enough to sort of compete, uh, in different disciplines all, all around the world. And, and I think there's a lot of parallels between sports and, and business, and, and, I, and I see that all the time these days, you know, people going from the sort of the dedication and discipline of, of a sports background into the business world and, and very often becoming quite successful as a result.
0: Once an athlete, always an athlete, I say.
1: With Brownwave, the agency that, that, that I run, we, we refer to it as, as Brownwave team. You know, many of the principles of running a sports team are the same principles that we use for, for running a business. Like I'm a big fan of Dave Brailsford, for example, and I love the, the theory of aggregation of mar- marginal gains theory. So rather than, you know, making big sweeping changes, um, the way to get the best out of a, an athlete or a sports team is to, is to make lots of little changes and, and aggregate all of those. And I think that reopies to business and and also just things like recruitment, um, recruiting on talent rather than necessarily qualifications or, or experience. I always think that talent and, and tenacity wins through.
0: How do you balance all the sports that you do with work and having three children and a marriage? With difficulty?
1: (laughs) I think I've always been into this kind of lifestyle. So it's not something where at some stage of my life, it's just kind of thrown upon me and I've had to have a lifestyle change. It has been more sort of evolution rather than than revolution. It's a lot easier when, when my work is the same as my passions, because I get to go to a lot of places and hang out with a lot of people they're, they're involved and and, and it, it is intrinsic to the job I do to do the sports and, and to understand them. So that makes it a little bit easier. Also, you know, living um, sort of a beach lifestyle. I live right by the beach and my office is right by the beach. The nursery is right by the beach and uh, everything is in a very small little triangle. And that lends itself, I guess, to, to spontaneity. You know, I, I don't have to drive for, for hours and hours. And, and even the car that I drive, you know, I drive like a long wheelbase van so all, all the toys are in the back as well as all the, all the kids seats so you know it it doesn't happen by accident that there is um there is a fair amount of of design into it but as I get older I prioritize it more like I, I, I will move work meetings if, if the conditions are particularly good because the years go by pretty quickly and you could wait a really long time for for a special day and I know a lot of people who've you know, started into this industry, and as they get older, just just work and, and family. But to be honest, mainly work has taken over. And you speak to them, and they say, "Oh, you know, I haven't done that sport in years. I'm I'm definitely not at that stage yet. If if anything, I'm go- I'm going the other way. I'm I'm moving it higher up my, my priority list."
0: <laughs> it sounds like you you know, are prioritizing the right things. I mean, I can sort of relate to the years going by and thinking I haven't been back to that beach or I haven't been back to that mountain to do the run that I said I was going to do. But I I would say that actually most people are going in the other direction. They're just kind of working all the time, which is disappointing. So when you have that conversation with yourself, what is it that you weigh up in your mind?
1: Because of what I do, we work with a lot of the governing bodies of sport, you know, Sport England and Ordnance Survey, etc., and it was really interesting to look at how society changed sort of psychologically and technologically during COVID and, and lockdown, and the pandemic. And as one of my team said, all you need to do to get people to do sport is just tell them they're locked down and they're not allowed to do it. And suddenly, you know, the whole country is out learning about hiking and trail running and, and biking for the first time that there was a massive spike in those sort of solo sports. Obviously the team sports were all shut down. And I think the legacy of that the positive legacy of that is, is still there and a lot of those people you know have discovered hey you know i feel fitter and healthier i look better and maybe as or or, or more importantly mentally i'm in a much better place as well and and the and they you know they've, they've continued i think it has dropped off a little bit but a lot of the numbers show that there's the huge uptake in, in those kind of sports for me personally when i think about those kind of things I don't know it's it's like it's my kind of therapy yes the, the the sport and you know sometimes the competitive element of it but it psychologically sorts me out I sleep better I can concentrate better I'm a happier person I'm a better boss I'm a better dad I'm a better husband so at least that's the way I justify it to myself but you know if 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 I've not if I've not been on the water in a, in a few weeks I, I I tend to get pretty itchy
0: I bet I bet um, can you talk us through any exciting projects that you're working with at the moment or working on at the moment?
1: I have got a few exciting projects at the moment. I think that the the wave pool technology is a game changer. E- even though, say, in the UK, we're, we're, we're an island nation, you're surrounded by water. It's amazing the statistics of how few people actually have access to, to the ocean. And even if they can, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things to do with, with safety and and tuition, and all those kind of things. So these these inland wave pools like like um the, the wave in in Bristol are revolutionizing water sports and they're providing sort of, you know, a, a safe environment and, and really good quality waves to people who wouldn't necessarily otherwise have access. And it you know, it, it cracks me up when I when I go to visit my friends in in, in Bristol and you know, I I'm, I'm here based on the South Coast and they're getting, you know, more regular and, and better quality waves than we are. So we, we have a few products internationally that we're working on, on that front and that excites me a lot. And, uh, we just, we just, uh, launched a project for a helmet brand in, in biking called Laser, who's, who's one of the, uh, the largest players with a new kind of, um, um rotational impact protection called Kineticore, which is really high tech stuff.
0: I was going to say, it sounds very high tech, almost like super in the future, 30, 40 years. <laughs> I, I love that side.
1: Like, you know, if I didn't work in, in sports, I, I would work in tech. And actually, you know, my wife and I actually had a tech marketing agency previously. And and then the other side of it, you know, the tech is, is kind of uh, some of the stuff we're working on is the wearable tech. I'm actually a diabetic and, and I have a, a, a Bluetooth blood sugar monitor in my arm, which I, which I beta tested for a company called... Abbott years ago and now that kind of technology is moving into elite sports so you get a lot of the road bike teams and people like kipchoge wearing these bluetooth blood sugar monitors so they can they can see where their blood sugar uh, levels are going to drop off etc and again I, I love that whole ecosystem of of tech and wearable tech and, and and how it sort of um crosses into sports
0: dan can you talk to us about um how Brandwave has changed in the 15 years that you've been running it. So kind of when you started and how you've had to change as sort of sports and society has evolved.
1: When I started Brownwave, just in terms of technology, in terms of what we actually do day to day you know, to earn a living, social media didn't exist. E-commerce didn't exist. Certainly you know, things like big data and NFTs and, and metaverse didn't exist. So when people say, what do you do? Quite often I say I'm not sure because it changes probably, you know, anything up to thirty percent a year. I think, you know, some people find that in, in, intimidating and I personally have a short attention span and I find that really exciting. Always in, needing to learn, always needing to evolve. And for sure, you know, there's there's a lot of people and companies within the agency space they sort of said, "This is what we do, and we're going to keep on doing it." and Unfortunately, they don't make it. So that need to to, to constantly evolve what you do is always there, and and probably never more so than the last sort of, two three years over COVID. You know the, that term you hear, you know, pivot overuse, the, the ability to pivot you really have had to pivot your business model. For, for us, for example, you know we were running a lot of activations, events and festivals, all of which got uh, either canceled or postponed o- overnight. But we all have other sides of our business like uh, the consultancy and, and the creative side, which is probably the larger side of the business. And that side of the business really went up. So that ability to be agile has been you know, super important in terms of what we do. But then to your point about brand pillars, ethos, um, philosophy, that hasn't changed at all. As I said, sort of, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've believed in the power of sport and and the outdoors. And we actually pro bono work with quite a few charities. And the most notable one is, is the Youth Adventure Trust, again, based down your way in Bristol, which does amazing work for young adults in their early teens, using the outdoors as a catalyst for positive change. And, you know, so, so that, that, that ethos has has, has not changed. And, and and the other thing that we, you know, kind of like our strapline is we understand your target market because we are your target market. That's not just a catchy strapline, you know. <laughs> Certainly, I, I uh, try to manifest that myself too, too much maybe sometimes. But also everyone we've ever hired, which is, I think, you know, well over 80 full-time staff and probably that again in contract staff between different countries, you know, they they all come from a sports background—Olympians or a professional athletes in, in different sports. And when I've made mistakes, of which I've made many over the years, it's when I've steered away from that ethos. You know, for example, with with team, you know, I, I would take somebody who's very qualified and very experienced and very personable, but if they don't have that burning passion. They're not going to love what they do like we do, and in the end, it, it doesn't work out. So. The what and the product has evolved, but the, the the ethos is exactly the same as it's always been.
0: Are you going to be talking for us at Blue Earth this year? I am
1: not sure. Is a short sure answer. Um, well, I think... I've
0: got on my notes that you are, so I'm just wondering <laughs> what it is, <laughs> is that you're going to be speaking about.
1: Then, the, then, then the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll be involved in some way, either either speaking or hosting or doing a panel. Also, we are looking. This is all super secret. At doing, um, some, some, some workshops, some, some free consultancy workshops, which I think we're going to call the, um, the Brownwave brainstorm sessions where startups can come and, and, and work with our different consultants to their challenges. And that's something that we're probably going to run for free. And we've done that with, with, with a few other different industries in the past. And, and, and that's, that's hopefully something that we can, we can add value. But yeah, I, I was just chatting with Will. He was chatting with me through all the things that you guys have got planned and. You know, God, it was good enough last year. It's it feels like it's gonna be like ten times the size this year with ten times as many things going on. So I'm 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 super stoked to be involved. What did you um what did you think about year one? I would say context, context, context. Anything you look you look at, you've got to look at what was happening in the world at the time. The guys behind that were so brave because they're really, you know, we were coming out of deep lockdown. And I think that was the first event of any kind that that, that I went to. You know, right up to the line, you know, there was Boris Johnson deciding whether or not you know we were going to be allowed to see people, and the guys just—I think were really single-minded that you know we're, we're going to do this, and there was a super, super strong team and a really, really clear vision. You, you got to admire that, you know, that kind of belief and that tenacity. I think it was a really original idea, and I think I think it was really needed. You know, I, I didn't see anyone else in the world doing anything like it. And it's all great to have the team and the desire, you know, and and the vision. But then when it actually came to the event itself, the manifestation of it, it was exceptional, you know, super, super high level. The people were there, really, really was the founders and and the C-suite. And I think, you know, the buzz was was palpable, um, both, you know, in in the conferences and and at the wave. I think the quality of of the speakers, honestly, some of the, the best I've ever heard. And I do a lot of this stuff, not in a preachy way. And I think that's the misconception. I think, you know, I speak to people and I say, you know, are you going to Blue Earth Summit? And they go, oh, we do a lot of stuff around sustainability, but we're not Patagonia. Therefore, you know, we couldn't possibly go to this summit. And that's wrong. You know, that's not what the summit's about. The the, the summit, from my perspective, is about improvement, practical improvement. So not just saying, you know, hey, hey, you know, the, the world's fucked we've got to do something that's you know there is a lot of there is a lot of that kind of like you know sort of chest beating stuff and it's just it actually doesn't really achieve anything what i liked about the summit it was i said again you know that aggregation of marginal gains it was look here's an idea here's how we executed it here's how you could execute it that's rare and i think anybody who attended that apart from having a really good time was able to take home stuff that they could practically implement within their own companies and Maybe that's the most important part of the whole thing. The other thing which I loved about it, you know, I spend pre-COVID, you know, a large part of my life doing the different trade shows and conferences within the bike industry, the running industry, is it's very siloed. They're all lifers within snow sports or whatever. And there's very, very rarely opportunities where where sports will, will intersect. And that was what I loved about this. You had really all industries from outdoor and action sports through to sailing and fitness. And running and biking and it became a real melting pot for collaboration and, and opportunities to work together and learn from different industries that was also really unique and and a damn good reason for people to go
0: dan you've been in brand marketing and outdoor industry for a long time so um what is it specifically about um those two things and the outdoors that kind of gets you up in the morning
1: probably realness in that for the most part, they're not fake industries and they're not fake people. Always exceptions to that, but most of the people who are in it are in it because they love it and they believe in it. I know that that's that is the case for me. You know, I think you know everybody's got other options. You know, if you want the best job title or you want the best pay packet and and benefits, you know, everybody has those options. And I think there's a mutual collective understanding and and realization, and it's almost an unsaid thing. When you meet people within these industries, is you also took the decision to to do what you love and follow your passions? Because you know we're, we're surrounded in that we kind of take it for granted that that everyone's like that. But you know sometimes when I step out of it, which is which is rare, and and go to you know other more mainstream industries, you realize that we're really really in in the absolute minority. You know, very very few people are able to you know put put their hand on their heart and say I, I absolutely love what I do for a living. So I feel super privileged to really have have grown up in that. You know, as I said, sort of, you know, I think my first job was about eleven doing that. You know, so I've I've always worked within the sports and outdoor industry. I work in the sports and outdoor industry. I'm 43, and and I can guarantee that I will, in some capacity, work in it until until the day I die. You know, I can I can never see myself leaving and your question that's that's probably that that collective understanding is, is is the bit that i enjoy the most
0: what challenges do brands face today in wanting to get their purpose across
1: it's always been there since since the dawn of time but but that sort of school of thinking became really popular about 10-15 years ago in around simon Sinek and his, his start with why and um everybody was sort of scrambling to get their why so they could put it up on the uh on the wall in the office and yeah, don't get me wrong. We work we work a lot in in that side of things, but I think what has changed is what I call the, the brand transcendence is being able to take that why and and apply it to every part of the company, from your new product development to your to your recruitment to to your marketing, etc. And I think you know o- over the last few years, especially Gen Z, have become much more attracted to what's referred to as purpose driven brands. So less interested in, 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 in what, what you're selling your product or service and, and more interested in, in your ideology as a brand. And I think it's kind of crossed that tipping point where it's, it's not a case, especially in the industry of rework of, of whether or not you, um, you sort of engage in, in purpose driven marketing, but you, you absolutely have to because you, you, you cannot succeed on product and pricing alone. It's reached critical mass. And the the other thing is that, you know, it can't just be about sizzle these days, you know, you have to have the state to go with it as well, because in the digital age, people can fact check instantly, you know, you can go straight on forums, you can go straight on reviews. And and if, if brands are making claims about themselves, you know, that, that are untrue, they're going to get found out really quickly, you know, whether you want to or not, that level of authenticity and, and doing what you say you do, yeah, that's becoming a lot more prevalent,
0: I guess. When brands say that they're sustainable, you kind of get lost, don't you, in this minefield? Because so many brands at the moment, you know, want to be sustainable, but I feel like so many people who buy products don't really, don't really understand like what that means. So how tricky is it for brands to say, to stay true to the idea of sustainability and in, in product and their mission?
1: The short answer is tricky. <laughs> Very tricky indeed. Part of it is, is because. Of the terminology you know of the labeling sustainable for me is an absolute it's an end point where you you couldn't possibly be you know doing any better for the for the planet so i would be skeptical of any brands that sort of refer to themselves as sustainable outright i think it's it's much more of a journey than an endpoint where it becomes tricky is people don't want to mess up a lot of brands see it as you know a very contentious issue as such, they don't want to mis- make a mistake. They don't want to get called out, so they don't engage at all. Um, which is which is not where we w- we want to be. So rather than sort of saying, you know, we're sustainable, we're we're one hundred percent test score. I think what it what it, it's better to do is to is to encourage people to articulate that it's a journey, not just say, hey, we're going to be more sustainable, but show a sort of timeline and say, you know, we're not perfect. These are the things we're doing now. These are the things that we intend to do over. Such a timeline and stick to that, and I think that's a lot more attainable, and people can relate to that both internally and externally and, and realize you're not going to be perfect straight away, but there is no industry, especially within the, within the industries that we work in that you can't do something to make it a little bit better. That's the key message around sustainability that that, that we need to be getting out
0: so do you think that outdoor brands have been um, naturally communicating sustainability and and purpose for a lot longer
1: No, I don't. I think that the outdoor industry is inherently in terms of production of apparel say for example you know footwear and, and and outerwear historically has been extremely unsustainable you know everything coming wrapped in plastic lots of uh hydrophobic nanotechnology and most of the brands have been you know with, with a few notable exceptions have been communicating performance and have and have actively steered away from being sustainable and said look you know performance, whatever that performance means to you, waterproof, breathable, etc., is top of our priority list. I would say that the industry as a whole, compared to some other industries, has been quite late to sustainability. I would say that there's not a huge amount of differentiation in terms of the messaging across the board, but particularly around the sustainable stories. And there's also a lot of tokenism brands will say you know we need to get a sustainable story out there and they'll create one product in a range of a thousand and pump the hell out of that PR wise but it's it's not actually representative of, of the whole range so I don't think the outdoor industry has been leading the way I do think that there are some governing bodies who have really encouraged that change over the last few years and done a great job sort of not just saying that we need to change but but showing brands how they can do it and I think there has been an, an inevitable mind shift across the board, but, but for sure, we've, we've got a, a long way to go yet.
0: And finally, you're a Blue Earth Ambassador for us this year. What does that mean? What are you up to? Well,
1: well that was a surprise, a, a very nice surprise. I, I, I did not see that one coming. I guess, firstly, I'm, I'm stoked. You know, I'm, I'm really uh, flattered and, and honoured to have been selected, especially when you see the, the calibre of, of some of the other ambassadors. For me, Blue Earth is something that I was attracted to right when, you know, the deck was a couple of pages long. I think the industry needs it. I think it works on, on, on so many, um, levels. And I guess there's a set of values either, you know, has been clearly defined or, or not, but it is definitely articulated by the Blue Earth guys. And I have my set of values. And right from the get go, those are really closely aligned in terms of being a, an, an ambassador for me. It, it, it just means helping in, in any way I can so that can be you know introducing the brands introducing the the investors speaking at the event or or, or doing the panel sessions yeah but but also you know i guess in in some ways just trying to be a face of the brand and and help people over that that misconception that that i mentioned earlier where they think to go to the summit we have to be super sustainable it 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 is not that it is come to the summit learn have a great time and then have the tools to be able to take that and, and implement that back home
0: Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.